everybody, this is Daryl with AfterBuzz TV. Did you know that TrueCar.com is changing car buying forever? Yes, everyday TrueCar users receive negotiation-free guaranteed savings. Now, some features are not available in all states, but that's okay. In the first six months of this year, over 275,000 cars were sold by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. TrueCar users save an average of $3,221 off of their MSRP. When you're ready to buy a car, just follow these three easy steps. First, go to TrueCar.com and find out what people pay for the car you're looking for. Then register at TrueCar.com to see upfront pricing information and lock in your savings. The third step is so simple. Just print out your TrueCar savings certificate and take it to the TrueCar certified dealer for a better, hassle-free car buying experience. Remember, everyday True Car users receive negotiation-free guaranteed savings. Save your time, save money, and never overpay. Visit TrueCar.com today. That's TrueCar.com. You're tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads from over 200 countries and your number one source in after-show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hello, Nick fans. Welcome back to the Nick After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. We're talking about Season 1, Episode 5, They Capture the Heat. I'm Matt Lieberman. Joining me as always, panel's here. Marissa Serafini's here. Hello. And Oriana Leo is here. Hello, everybody. Uh, we have a very special guest on the show today, writer Stephen Katz, uh, who wrote this episode. We're going to be getting him on the phone momentarily. Uh, but until then, I want to jump in with this uh, right off the bat uh, surgery sequence coming from uh, Bunky Collier and his goons. His brother-in-law has been shot in the leg. He's one of his pimps. And they take him to the back room of a barber shop, which was very common for the time. If you couldn't afford, you know, uh, a hospital, which in many ways was like a place to go die, this was the closest thing people had to doctors. And this is a guy who had treated people during the war. But he's just like a drunk, shaky <laughs> barber. And he's selling a medical consultation with a free shave and a haircut. It's just so beautifully ridiculous and so purely the Nick. And it was awesome because it it was a nice location away from the Nick. We kind of see another place that's trying to do medical surgeries and whatever, and how unsanitary everything was. And the fact that they even questioned him, shouldn't you wash your hands? It just shows, like, everything people did out of desperation. It's like, hey, I don't care, you know, just perform on him. Yeah. What do you think, Oriana? I thought it was a hilarious scene. It just illustrates the, it, it really tells the story of what people are dealing with. Okay, if you were a criminal, maybe you got hurt in a crime when you don't want to go to the hospital, mm -hmm. this might be the only alternative you have. Absolutely. And, um, you know, because Bunky has, I don't know, a tiny bit of good sense and, and maybe a conscience because this is a relative, he decides to take him to the neck. But in other cases, I mean, this would be as good as it gets. Yeah. Uh, and we have Stephen Katz on the line. Stephen, are you with us? Yes, I'm with you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. We loved the episode. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, so I, I know, obviously, Michael and Jack wrote the, the bulk of the episodes. I just wanted to get a sense of how you came on to the project and sort of the genesis of this episode. Where did the script come from? Well, um, 
in the early summer of 2013, out of the blue, I got an email from Steven Soderbergh, who's somebody I've known for over 20 years. We actually worked on a project together way back when. And he asked me to send, they asked me what I was doing and asked me to send them some writing samples. And then next, I, next thing I know, he tells me about this television series he's committed to. Um, I knew nothing about it. I thought, like the rest of the world, that he had actually retired. <laughs> and um, so um, I had actually done, written quite a lot of scripts set in New York City in the 19th century, the middle part of the 19th century and the turn of the 19th century. And he felt um, the project needed one more writer, and he felt that um, bringing me in would, um, I would hit the ground running. And so that's what happened. The uh, outlines of the 10 scripts were pretty much completely already done. Jack and Michael had really, really done the lion's share of the work. I contributed some small ideas to the segments, and um, I was assigned two scripts, five and nine, to write, and came on as a supervising producer. Wonderful. Uh, I, I have to compliment you. It's so seamless. You you really captured the show's voice. I think if, if we hadn't known ahead of time, we would not have had any idea that it was a different writer. Well, I, I guess that's the whole point of, of pretty much every television series. Yeah, absolutely. A, a writer's room of any kind, which is we all sort of have to get in, in sync so, so nothing really stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we were about to get into this uh, the surgery scene at the Nick uh, early in the morning uh, with uh, Thack and Algernon operating on one of Bunky Collier's men. And there is this level of tension uh, in the scene where obviously Mr. Barrow is aware that if they, if they take this leg, uh, then they're all going to die. But the surgeons aren't aware. Um, what went into what was your take on this scene? What went into writing it? Well, this is actually one of the um, sequences that I did contribute. I felt that um, since we keep talking about how cutting edge the Nick is, it would be a good idea to see um, what the alternative was. Mm-hmm. And um, my idea, I, the way I, I sort of conceived it is, was, is a little bit of an homage to Dr. Mead in Gone with the Wind, if you remember that character. He's the one who who, uh, when, when given a choice, pretty much always just reaches for the saw. <laughs> and um, so there's th- that tension, and then they arrive at the Nick, and this is the first time we've, re- we've seen um, Bunky Collier at the Nick, even though um, Barrow owes him a fortune for you know, skimming money in order to line his pockets and, and while still maintaining the Nick. And so I thought seeing this sort of alien presence there would be a really interesting way to generate some tension. And then also, it, uh, the fact that uh, Thackeray knows who um, Bunky Collier is, probably from his you know, nighttime prowling in, in the, the, uh, less, the more unseemly places of New York City, makes, sets up some interesting things as far as his... Uh, Thackeray's opinion of Barrow. Sure. Yeah, and we get a lot of fun Barrow stuff uh, in this episode. Um, we're, we're given the introduction of the X-ray, which quite rightly is probably the single most significant medical discovery in many, many years, and it is going to revolutionize how they diagnose people. 
Yeah, but the funny part is the man who introduces it to them, a man named Clarence Daly, was the one who, um, he was an assistant to Thomas Edison. He helped to develop the X-ray, and then he died of exposure to it. <laughs> oh, wow. So it, it, it has a, all, pretty much every medical procedure in this show has a, an upside and a downside. And that's the downside to that one. Yeah, going, going, hi, um, going off of the medical advances and such as the x-ray, and how much research did you do about all these medical and industrial advances that are, were applied to the medicine back in that day? I did, a, I did personally did a fair amount. We all, all three of us did a great deal of research. Michael and, and Jack are more obsessed with medical history than I am. I'm more interested in the period and, and the culture and sure. um, the you know, the cultural things that were going on. I, I, um, my, the extent of, Michael actually has a whole medical library, and, and Jack's uncle, Dr. Burns, is our, um, our uh, medical historian, and he, Burns actually has his own, um, medical, um, museum. Hmm. But, um, I kind of limited myself to, to, um, digging in back copies of the New England Journal of Medicine from the era. And I have to say, I felt pretty gratified because um, Dr. Burns didn't actually change anything in any of my scenes. Great. I have to ask a question. Did you do extra research about meningitis? It's just interesting to see it being presented as something that was transferred from potentially from a doctor to his child and the condition that she was in. Well, that, that came from Jack and Michael. I mean, I have to give them all credit for, for pretty much every interesting idea in this season. Um, I did, as I said, I did some research in the New England Journal of Medicine and some other journals from that period. But, um, yeah, it was new to me, too. Yeah. Um, so, getting back into into Barrow's story, uh, we get to see him uh, wheel, uh, wheeling and dealing, trying to get this X-ray machine. But at the same time, he's all he's sort of you see him at the uh, at the meeting of all the trustees, and he's pretty checked out. He's, he's just totally like totally checked out. This is mm-hmm. just going to be another nightmare for me to mop up. And uh, he goes back to Junior, his safe place, and laments his sorrows. We find out how he got into all this trouble in the first mm-hmm. place. Yep. He stole a bunch of money from the hospital and gave it to a Wall Street man thinking that it was a surefire thing and lost all of it. And now has just been trying to dig himself out of that hole ever since. Um, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't always believe what Barrow says, even though he's oh. done a thing for Junior. You know, who knows if that's really what happened. He, he, Things could have predated that, or he could have made a fortune in Wall Street, and then something else happened. It's it's a little hard to tell. He's just so slippery. And even at that board meeting, it's true he seemed to be kind of checked out, and he seemed to be kind of registering the fact that he would be called upon to to raise money he didn't have. But you can kind of see the little gears in his brain working. And he's also probably thinking about how is he going to profit from this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely a gambling man because you can see him, you know, calculating everything. If I did X, Y, and Z, you know, I can get so much in return. And I and I really like that about Barris because he is a very calculating man despite the big hole that he dug himself into. What I really like about this episode and, and Barrow as a character is 
seeing how he's really on the outside looking in. Yeah. He wants to be a part of this glamorous upper crust New York, and he clearly isn't. Oh, yeah, and the scene where he's talking with the captain about Delmonico's, mm-hmm. and he's so proud of himself for going. And uh, and the captain and his contemporary are just like, oh, God, I haven't been there in years. It's where the riffraff go. Where the riffraff go. And the only reason... Yeah, I think Stephen did a great job directing it by having um, the other character, who's uh, uh, Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. doesn't even barely looks at Barra, doesn't expect to be introduced to him. You know, just sort of has this instinct that this is a social inferior, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to sp- bo- you know, bother to spend time, although you, you can just see Barrow dying to be introduced to the guy yeah and it's a it's a really beautifully directed scene and it's also a, a compliment to jeremy bob who he gets up and he just stands there and you just watch him wilt over mm-hmm. the course of this conversation uh but ultimately knowing once the van uh mr vanderbilt mentions that he donated two x-ray machines that Cha-ching. he's got an opening and he just has to sit there and let it happen uh yeah, and jeremy he's thrilled. is terrific he he kind of reminds me a little bit of, of young Jack Lemon because Jack mm-hmm. Lemon he always used to play that role where he was always kind of he never really included he was always dragging his finger around his sweaty collar you think of Jack Lemon in mm-hmm. the apartment and, and Jeremy is definitely cut from the same cloth yeah absolutely uh, so yeah we get to see a little more Junior we get that uh, that sequence with him we also get uh, a potential new business partner. And uh, as you said, Marissa, watching him calculate and wheel and deal, you know, when he's talking with Bunky at the top, he's like, you know, let's talk about the matter of my compensation. For the leg. Yeah, yeah for, for the all leg. That, I mean, this poor man is, he could die. He poor could man, he is a pimp. Okay, he is a pimp, but he's in a lot of pain. True. He almost got his leg sawed off by a pain. drunk barber. Yeah. Um, I feel for died. The, yeah, I feel general. for the guy just because he's a human being in pain. And here we see. You know, Mr. Barrow's sitting there going, how can I get what I want? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later on, uh, Officer, Officer Finnegan pops up once again. Uh, Finney, after we saw him uh, last week or maybe a couple episodes ago, uh, keeping an eye on Barrow as he was leaving Bunky Collier's, and he has this, this proposition. You know, I pick up prostitutes off the street. You introduce me to Mr. Collier. I'll bring them to Mr. Collier. We'll all make some money. Uh, and I love the moment when Barrow's like, what would your captain think of this? I was like, well, he'd probably want to mm-hmm. cut, so let's mm-hmm. not tell him. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is, it's important really to see how corrupt the New York Police Department is. And I mean, the New York Police Department has been infamous for its corruption throughout its history. In the early years, it was kind of a paid-for department. If you wanted the police to recover stolen property, you had to give them some of the stuff that they got back. Oh. Wow. And it was... Um, so not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I don't want to say that too loudly, actually. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Gallinger, we mentioned briefly. Yes. Um, this is a guy who, you know, over the course of this season so far... He's been talk. He's got this seemingly perfect life. He's just, you know, he's being stymied by the evolution of the culture, by uh, Algernon Edwards' presence. This guy who, in his mind, you know, deserves to be uh, the cream of the crop when we actually haven't seen him do anything properly or positively. But then all of a sudden, his child is struck with meningitis, which he may have potentially transferred to her. Um, and it's horrific. This, ch- uh, you know, the baby is just crying. His wife is fraught, uh, and then 
they really have no treatment. We don't get to see the end of this, but I don't know that it's going to end well because we've got... Uh, I love this piece of medical technology, but it's like really awful to watch where this baby is crying and we've got this kind of like odd skull cap where ice cold water is, circulates through tubes to cool down the head. Uh, Stephen, can you tell us, were there any other treatments? Um, I, I'm not the expert on this. I believe there, <laughs> yeah. were some, there was a test to positively identify if somebody had meningitis, and there were probably some drug-related treatments, and, but I'm, I'm not going to go out on a limb and get something wrong here. Yeah. I will say this about Gallantry. What I think is interesting about him is he, he emerges pretty quickly as, as really the most loathsome racist on the staff, and yet he's here he's suffering this extraordinary tragedy so there's a lot of sort of he's he ends up getting a lot of interesting colors as time goes on i i feel like he's the he's having this fall from grace of the we were talking about the the white male privilege mm-hmm. he's having this kind of fall from what that used to get you or the what we see in that scene with the vanderbilt like there's a certain life there's a certain level of privilege and he's just not experiencing that anymore and it is, it, while it's sad, it's also, like you said, it's progress in a way. I think it's it's a humbling thing for him mm-hmm. because as much as, um, as much medicine as he thinks and believes that he knows that really it can affect anyone. It's not racist in that way mm-hmm. or discriminatory. It can affect everyone, and he really doesn't have the power over that. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, let's hope he, he gets that lesson. It, this yeah. was definitely a, an era of, of extraordinary... Um, white privilege among a very, very small um, percentage of the population, pretty much identical to, to today, which is one of the scary things and one of the things I find so really fascinating about this show, that there's so many echoes to what's happening in American culture right now. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely, I like the fact that we're having an opportunity to sympathize with this guy who we've hated for the large chunk of the series so far. Um, it, it, I guess that really is the question. Will having ex- facing extreme difficulty, facing adversity for the first time in his life, will he fall down on his knees and say, poor me, or will he stand up and you know try to become a better person having experienced all of it? You know, only time will tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to issue any spoilers, but I mean, this is what we will see certainly is that he just embraces sciences and as they all seem to be doing. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Uh, So I really quickly, before we move on, I just want to talk briefly about iTunes. Uh, Folks, I say it every week, and it's only because it's the truth. The best way you can support AfterBuzz TV is to go to iTunes and rate and review the shows that you listen to or that you watch on YouTube. It's uh, really quick, doesn't cost you a dime, and it's the only way that you can give us proper feedback on how you're liking the show, and it's how we're able to get sponsors, how we're able to get wonderful guests like Steven. Uh, It really, really helps everyone here. It just, it raises the collective water level of the entire network. It just takes a second, and it's the best way for us to know that we're giving you the best possible Nick After Show that we can possibly give you, and I think we're doing a pretty damn good job. So we appreciate your support. All right, moving on. Uh, Cornelia and Mr. Spate, we get to see uh, a quick scene as their uh, typhoid investigation is unfolding. Um, I, I love the, It's like so gothic and creepy, this table with all this gold silverware laid out and uh, this sort of like like matronly uh you know head of the staff and then all of the staff right behind her 
it's this weird almost like firing squad of people it's mm-hmm. like it's it's an alarm i don't know why this scene alarms me so much especially in a in a show where we had a pretty brutal surgery and a pretty brutal aftermath of another surgery but for whatever reason it stuck with me i think visually it's reinforcing too because it shows all their literally like mostly their wealth on a table it's mm-hmm. very clean very organized so how could this living condition that shouldn't get typhoid have typhoid. Yeah. Uh, well, well I, I have to say, it's a, once again, it's a testament to Stephen's direction, because that's not how I kind of envisioned the scene when I was writing it. But the truth is, I used to play this game with myself on every day when I'd show up on the set, which is try to predict how he would shoot it, and I never <laughs> got it right. <laughs> and I think it's a testament, in part to the fact that I shouldn't be a director, but <laughs> I think also that, that this is something great directors do, which is they have the, this very um, creative and surprising vision of how scenes should be shot. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed watching, like you say, there's a lot of, um, there's this kind of dichotomy. We have Spate, we have Neely. She's upright, prim and proper. She's speaking with eloquence. And then we see Spate who's touching everything and putting his grimy hands. This is the guy yeah. that's supposed to be the health inspector. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What she, makes him think he ain't a part of this, you know? But yeah. I, I like what you said about... Um, being affected by this scene because we have that humorous moment where he's saying, does he does he have someone else who wipes his ass for him? Mm-hmm. And essentially she says, don't think that he doesn't. Yeah. This is a powerful man that gets whatever he wants, speaking right back to the white privilege that, that Stephen's talking about, um, that I wouldn't want to mess with this family. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want to see Mr. Cook. I don't think I'd want to have to do what they're doing. Absolutely. Uh, and we finally, we have potentially three culprits. Uh, we have three members of the staff that were let go, uh, who maybe uh, may who maybe may be the person Typhoid Mary, who's who's spreading it all around all these people. So I imagine we're going to investigate these three as we move forward. Uh, Cornelia seen again. Uh, grabbing Algernon in the middle of the night after he's enjoying his his fine smokable um, <laughs> to uh, to bring him to her house uh, where her mother his mother is uh, is deeply in pain. We're gonna get to that in a moment. I want to back up and start with Algernon's story from the beginning. Um, so the the evolution of this clinic has been one of the delights of this season mm-hmm. so far. Um, you know, uh, having Algernon talking to this man, and I love this sequence where he's like, he's telling him all this medical speak about what's going on with his hernia, and the guy's like, you know, like, talk to me like a man, and not like some child who can't understand what you're saying. And Algernon realizes he's in the wrong, he backs up, and he explains, look, this is what's going on with you, you got the sack filled with fluid, honestly, I don't know that I'd be able to help you, but I do have this experimental treatment. But uh, this experimental treatment, it might work, but if it doesn't, you won't die, but you'll be in intense pain for the rest of your life. And this guy, like, to his credit, <laughs> such a great attitude. So yeah. bold. He's like, every cloud is, has a silver lining. I'll have one too. Hell yeah, let's mm-hmm. do this. And I'm like, bold, man. I mean, maybe it's just, and you, maybe you can speak to this, Stephen, maybe it's just an attitude, a part of the times where you didn't live as long, and he's going to live in pain either way, so, you know, why not go for it? You know, this is, I feel like people would be far more reticent to try an experimental procedure nowadays. Um, I don't... <laughs> it's a difficult question. You stumped question, the guess. You know, yeah, if he's... A, he's we assume that uh, 
Algernon's Hospital is a charity hospital, but he's not charging these people. Mm-hmm. And if they got something for nothing in those days, that they probably didn't sniff at it, no matter what the the situation was. Um, one of the the things I wrote into that scene is that. Um, the uh, hernia patient is wearing his best suit. Mm-hmm. The idea that he would be be allowed into a white man's hospital, even if he's in, in the basement, he would dress up for that. Mm. This is a big deal, and, and that he's being taken care of in this way, um, even if it's by the black guy in the basement, is still a real huge deal for him. Because he's an immigrant? Um, yeah, because pa- okay. he's a Cuban immigrant. Right. He works in as a cigar roller, which was a very... Um, uh, um, lowly position. Mm-hmm. The cigar rolling businesses was you, you probably remember this from high school was one the one that inspired the union movement in America. Mm-hmm. These people were terribly treated. It's they like sweatshops, cigars yeah. in their mm-hmm. um, apartments. Um, so, yeah, I think that the the offer to have an experimental treatment probably meant a lot to him at that point. Yeah. I think that Algernon, on the other hand. Elton has an interesting sense of entitlement. He mm-hmm. mentioned the word entitlement a couple of times, that he thinks he should be only judged on his skills and knowledge, and he obviously has um, some ex- exceptional skills and knowledge. So for that one moment when he's a little bit uh, snooty to the patient, we see that uh, he sometimes forgets that the situation is actually more difficult and more fraught than, than um, he brings to it. And even when we will jump ahead to when he goes to see his mother, the fact that he wasn't summoned there as a doctor, he was summoned there as her son to comfort her. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, Dr. Captain Robertson, who actually seems to admire that, um, Algernon, Algernon, still yeah. would call Thackeray first to take care of a, a beloved family servant. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's the second time, at that point, it's the second time in the episode where Dr. Edwards has been wrong, or at least has put out, a, you know, some theories of what's going on with the patient, and Dr. Thackeray does what he wants to anyways, mm-hmm. and he prevails. Right. He's eating a little bit of crow this episode, which we haven't Well, I, what I love about it is at the top of the episode, he, uh, he mentions Darwin, he references Darwin, um, and Thackeray is a little slow on the uptake. And Algernon is so pleased with himself, mm-hmm. he's on the catbird seat, and then Thack just throws it right back in his face by popping his mom's cyst. Um, <laughs> and then he just, just so coolly, he's just, doctor, and he walks out, and I'm just like, oh, man, I would be steamed. Mm-hmm. He's plenty steamed. Uh, hopefully he doesn't go and get in another fight over this. Yeah. By the way, speaking of steamed, we shot a lot of this movie during the so-called polar vortex last year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. And the scene between after that between Thackeray and Captain Robertson as they're walking to their um, uh, respective uh, carriages, it was freezing out. Oh and man! Those poor guys had to wear their their summer costumes, and um, it was just it was uh, I can I was wearing you know about thirty different layers of of camping gear. Wow. And they were talking about how hot it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing. Yeah, talking about how muggy it is in New York. Yeah. They did a great job. 
now, it, it, honestly, looking back on it, there's like a sense of humor to uh, when when Clive actually says they capture the heat in that mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. That to me is almost like winking, like it is so freezing right now. <laughs> um, that's actually really funny. Uh, I also got a foreshadowing aspect of they capture the heat because we see in the episode they're talking about we should move the Nick uptown, we mm-hmm. should move into a different location, into a different building. And I got the, maybe it might get into predictions territory, but I got the feeling that building is the the industrial enhancements of the medicine of the hospital. So mm-hmm. that might add another element to the show. Well, I mean, we have that discussion with Captain Robertson about the material and the immaterial, Mm -hmm. and that uh, the next generation's fortunes are based around the immaterial. So, what's hot? X-rays are hot. Electricity Mm -hmm. is hot. You know, like... buildings are hot. (laughs) Exactly. So, we need to continue to evolve if we're ever going to stay alive, or we will cool off and eventually freeze to death. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. 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 So, yeah. Well... Uh, so well, just one more thing with Algernon, the surgery scene um, where he's sewing up this hernia and he's got his three attendants, one to photograph, uh, one to suture, and, and another one just monitoring, and then they have to stop midway, and I'm just like, oh, white people, um, <laughs> where they turn off the light and it's just this like this guy trying to have sex with a nurse, and she's like, um, did you bring, did you bring, he's like, bring what? She's like, scarlet letter? Um, French yeah. letter. French, French letter. letter. Sorry, <laughs> French letter. He's like, oh come on, I'm dying here. Just let. And I'm just like, wow, times haven't changed. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just the name has changed of what we call a prophylactic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, thankfully they leave, uh, and we're able to continue the surgery. But uh, like when the light comes back on, and they're all just kind of like t- trying to stifle giggles, and he's like, ladies, come on, let's get back to work. Uh, loved it. There's that sense of levity. There's life is going on all mm-hmm. around. Them. There's a lot yes. of levity in this mm-hmm. episode. I, I would say the mm-hmm. most of any episode so far. I agree. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Stephen. No, but thanks for saying that. I yeah. did. You know, I think um, there's a, a concept in writing horror, and I've written a lot of horror. It's been with my bread and butter for a long time, called the breath of God. I don't know if you've ever heard that. That. No. Phrase, but what it refers to is that if you have some a lot of scary stuff, you've got to stop at some point and let people catch their breath. Yes. Mm-hmm. And usually writers do that or directors do that by putting in some humor, because if you don't do that, the people are going to be so overwhelmed, they're going to possibly start laughing at the scary parts and the, and the serious parts. So, you know, it, it's nice to break up the, the super gory um, surgeries with a little funny scenes where people can kind of relax and kick back and then kind of steal themselves for the next gory scene. I really liked the amount of levity in this episode because it made it feel so much more relatable to me because we all know what it's like to work a long day, mm-hmm. to be in a stressful situation when you're with your team or your coworkers. You know, you crack jokes. That's how you get through it. Yeah. And so I feel like it makes it that much more relatable to Makes me. them more human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we have uh, Cleary and uh, and Harriet Amazing. enjoying, you know, some growlers of beer together, I'm just like, oh, these two are fantastic. Um, yeah. Best scene in the best scene in the, in in, the episode, in I In the think. episode for yeah. you? Yeah. It was definitely up there for me. Um, I love watching this relationship evolve. He brings her to their first appointment and we find out, much like the, uh, the corpse that he tried to pass off as living <laughs> just mere episodes ago, uh, he's trying to get her to abort a baby that is seven months long mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. in a very frightened woman. And she's already changed her mind. Yeah. 
And uh, he basically, like, threatens her husband to get him to convince her, you know, to let her do the operation. And, you know, just some just just some very frank racism from Cleary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Heathens, yellow devil. Or, yeah. Not, Something like not that. Not great. Yellow menace. Yellow, yellow menace. menace. Uh, and, uh, but ultimately, you know, she admonishes him and they sit down for a beer together. Uh, and, uh, he, she's like, you know, eventually the Nick is going to leave this area and we're going to be out of a job. You know, Mother Superior is going to send me, or the church is going to send me wherever, you know, but you're going to be screwed. He's like, oh no, I'll, I'll move uptown with it. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll follow the heat. And she's like, oh God, no. I love that she calls him out on, you have Mm -hmm. so much work to do, son. You know, like you need to learn some manners, learn how to speak, learn how to dress. There's no way you can. Fucking shave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no way you're, anyone would allow you uptown. Oh, so much fun. Uh, and I, I yeah, can't. Yeah, they have a nice relationship because they're both really salty and they don't pull their punches and um, they're really funny. I mean, I kind of think of them as like like our version of, of Hepburn and Tracy. They're a screwball <laughs> comedy couple. Absolutely. Oh, man, we uh, we had him in here last week. I wish we could have uh, told him that you called him Spencer Tracy <laughs> and see what he said. Um, so, uh, Dr. Thackeray, uh, he gets a shot at, uh, he gets another shot at Previa this week mm-hmm. um, after it claimed his mentor, and it's a pretty abysmal failure. Mm-hmm. In 72, 72 seconds, she bled out. That's no time at all. That's no time to do anything. No. <laughs> and it's obviously very much plaguing him. It is on his mind. Uh, Especially the buildup, because he was so positive this time. And yeah. he says, we can do this. You're next to me. We can do this. We can advance medicine. And then we have the same situation. But it really, I felt like the it, the impact was felt more because we did not see the surgery. Yeah, you know, it was like the first one we didn't see. We didn't have to see it because we'd already seen it performed the first time. Um, but to see them go in, go to, from positivity to, to just silence, yes. absolute silence, and to have Birdie be the one that's kind of comforting Thackeray, mm-hmm. um, it you it flashes back to Dr. Christensen and how gut wrenching that must feel to have yeah. such an epic fa- double life failure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen, can you speak to to where Thack is right now mentally and emotionally? Well, first of all, let me say one of the things that really attracted me to this series when I first read the pilot or first couple of episodes is that it's really a show literally about life and death and the um, the fact that the first season is concerned with actually giving birth and there are deaths is just, I think, really thematically um, compelling. Uh, you know, that is is obsessed with um, medical developments and he's not going to give up and he's um, it's the backbone excuse me the backbone of his character is he's really committed and obsessive even about um, about pushing forward his science and his discoveries and you know what it's unclear he's a very complicated character and a very smart character in part I think because Clive brings such intelligence to the part so it's hard to, to, to actually say whether or not it's just ego or does he want to make some money after he discovers some incredible mm. whatever we just don't know he's just he just seems like a very driven man yeah mm. he's a very driven man who's also obsessive 
over uh, a one Nurse Elkins. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't call it quite leering at her, but it's a little leery in the morning. Mm-hmm. He watches her ride past on the bicycle, uh, and she's she's definitely affected him. Her words last week, um, or maybe it was even the week before, just kind of have have gotten under her skin, under his skin, just you know about hope and opening himself back up to the possibility of things maybe someday being okay. Which we see with the bicycle, mm-hmm. which yeah. was quite. Uh, amazing to me to see him laugh and to try something new mm-hmm. and to sing a song and to have fun fun and be free yeah i think this was probably one of the only moments we've seen him actually genuinely happy mm-hmm. and the fact that elkins was the one that helped that yeah well he says you're a really good teacher yeah and he she says you're a really good student and it, of course makes me think that there may be some teaching and learning going on in the future maybe maybe a little continuation i mean is steven what do you think is at the heart of this you know potential love story you know what is she, obviously she sees a lot in him just in terms of uh his his brilliance but then also his vulnerability uh she's seen him at his most vulnerable uh, and you know she's the first person who's broken that wall for him in a long time. What's going on well, I there? I think you have to take them both at their words. He said how much he admired her for for being free, and this is we're in a world where people really do seem trapped mm-hmm. by you know by race or by sex or by their social status. And you know here comes this character and I mean Lucy has to labor under all these issues too but she can zip around on a bicycle and in 20 years she'll get the vote yeah <laughs> right. on the other hand I think um, Lucy who does seem rather innocent is, has as you said you know um, seen the worst side of, of Thackeray not that I'm, I'm calling his penis his worst side but <laughs> She's seen a, a really dark side of him, and I think if, she, in fact, she's attracted to this, then we have to wonder about something in her character that mm-hmm. um, she would be attracted to corruption or she would be attracted to what we might now call the dark side. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in this scene with Bertie where he's trying to ask her out on a date, she says she you know, she doesn't want to go to the museum. She'd rather go look at, what was it? It was, it was a horror house, like a, a wax museum. House. Oh, yeah. It, she'd rather go see something dark. She'd rather be scared. She'd rather be titillated than, you know, look at something pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which makes Dr. Thackeray an obvious choice compared to Bertie, poor guy. Yeah. yeah. But he's so sweet. He is so sweet. Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up one thing. Um, That scene with the captain and Thackeray, Mm -hmm. um, and a couple things. One, that the captain wants Dr. Thackeray to approach his daughter to essentially tell her she's going to be demoted upon marriage. Well, it it Mm -hmm. was kind of a joke, but it was basically him saying that, like... I don't want to do it. Yeah, I can't have this conversation because she's going to be mad at me. You know, she's going to shoot the messenger... And frankly, you know, like when she's married, she has responsibilities to her husband, so I'm going to be dropping her. He's not ready to let her know that's his agenda. And it's pretty screwed up because she's doing a great job. Of course job. it's screwed up. Thackeray just said she, he's doing a, she's doing a great job. As a modern woman, I was so offended by that but, mm-hmm. but because I'm sure that happened all the time. I mean, not happened all the time because she's in a very special situation with the amount of power she has. Yeah. Yeah. But that sort of thing of, you know, this is what's going to happen in this woman's future. She doesn't mm-hmm. know it yet. And she's going to find out one way or another. Well, compare that to when uh, Harry called in uh, Dr. or Bertie, Dr. Chickering, uh, to look at this woman who had the previa. And she's like, I just need you to 
say that she can go into surgery. I'm not allowed to let this woman who is dying go to surgery. You're wasting time. You're wasting time. And it's the truth. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty despicable how little power women have in this society. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And the fact that Cornelia comes from from wealth, and you would think that this would buy her more power and more entry to things, but you know, it, it doesn't. And even her father, you know, somebody who's extremely close to her, has her um, buttonholed into a, a future already. Mm-hmm. And um, as much as she might want to pursue, continue to pursue this, as much as she might want to stay on the Nick board and become more involved in in, in um, the health programs of the city, she's stuck. And maybe rich people were stuck even in the worst way than the um, poor people because I think more maybe this is a ridiculous generality I think more of the social reformers who were women didn't come from that class. There was more mobility Mm -hmm. if you started at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Potentially. (laughs) Right. Um, And and it's also uh, not just the women in the um, in the gender race. It's it's also the just social inequality Mm -hmm. with the the color people because we see every episode we see situations where Edwards isn't treated properly or and we saw a lot of the flask wasn't passed to him. Yeah, oh, he noticed. He was pissed. There were so many different situations in this particular episode where you can still see that segregation between the white supremacy and the colored. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. did we catch? Did anyone else catch on the whole Nicaragua thing? That same scene uh, when they're leaving, and Captain Roberts says, uh, "Thackeray says you're still in my debt." Right. He goes, "Oh, mm-hmm. Nicaragua." Dot dot dot. Well, I have to imagine that uh, Doctor Thackeray, before he ever got this job, you know, served uh, was was a medic in the military, um, and that's where he met Captain Robertson originally. Uh, and is, that he may have saved his life is this previously. Your assumption? It's my assumption, okay. mm-hmm. but I, it seems pretty clear to me that you know they were they were both on the front lines in Nicaragua in a previous conflict, and that uh, Doctor Thackeray you know potentially saved his life. And that may be how he got his job. Other than he's an amazing. Yeah. Well, that's how he got the interview, at least. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, can uh, you well, speak I'm not on that? Telling. You're not telling. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Stephen, I know you can't really tell us anything about what's to come. Can you tell us the the title of uh, of your other installment, the ninth in- ninth installment? Oh, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they posted the um, uh, synopsis online. Okay. Oh, oh, you know what it is? It's uh, the Golden Lotus. The Golden Ooh. Lotus. Ooh. Intriguing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can't give us any details. What can we expect, though, from the rest of the season? We're halfway through, mm-hmm. and it's hard to believe we only have five episodes yeah. left. Um, but is there anything you can tell us? Um, I, I would rather not. I mean, just yeah. expect more of the same, more kind of some characters barreling out of control, some some taking more um control of their lives and uh, a lot of really gory stuff mm. okay um, do either of you have any more questions for Stephen before we uh, we start to wrap up thank oh. you for okay, yeah. joining us today. yeah thank yes. you so much Stephen it's been a real pleasure talking to you it's been my pleasure too thank you yeah absolutely what a great guy yeah yeah okay uh, uh, do, do you have Twitter before you leave before you leave 
do I have a, I don't, I don't you, use Twitter. I'm, I'm from an older generation. That's all right. Um, is there anything else you want people to know about that may be coming up on the horizon? Um, doo -doo. No, you know, I just, I think the show is, is so surprising and constantly surprising that I'm just, I, you know, I like throwing people into the deep end. I think it's been great that Stephen hasn't um, affixed the a more complicated coming attractions at the end of each episode because he doesn't want to ruin it for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, no, there's some there's some good stuff coming up though. All right, <laughs> we're excited. Thank you so much, Stephen. Okay, thank you again. Bye. Bye bye. All right, all right. All right so let's talk predictions. Hmm. Are you gonna great stuff from him? Yeah. I, I've seen the next episode, but not the one after, so I'm going to bow out. Okay. Um, but I, I want to hear what you guys are thinking. What's going on? Um, I think I mentioned uh, about the buildings. Um, yeah. Whether, they, whether or not they actually move to another location, whether it be Uptown, who knows, but that wouldn't be, you know, the Knickerbocker. So I think because they won't do that, they'll add more building advances to their location right now that'll mm -hmm. help advance their medicine. And also... Um, there's the the whole meningitis case, mm -hmm. also you know coinciding with the the whole typhoid breakout right now. I'm I'm predicting that maybe there's a lot of misdiagnosis going on, mm. and what if the meningitis is actually typhoid? And because they both have the symptoms of fevers right now, so we don't know. I think there's a lot of um, misdiagnosing going on. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Anything from you, Oriana? Um, I just I think that I don't know if it's gonna happen in the next episode, but down the pike we're gonna see poor uh, Neil Cornelia find out what her future has in store for her. That in ten years she's gonna be having you know mm -hmm. a gaggle of children and not being involved. Um, and I can see that Doctor Edwards will be there to comfort her in some way. I'm not yeah. sure how that might go down. Bound to go on, but um, <laughs> they have this they have this tenderness and this closeness, and I can just see that if she was going through something difficult, that he would be there for her. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think that we're gonna see. The our two lovebirds, Thackeray and Lucy, um, tiptoeing towards something. I don't yeah. think anything's going to happen right away, but he's not going to, I don't think he's going to take his foot off the gas towards okay. her. We've also got a potential chickering date yep. on the horizon. Yeah. 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 A little sweetie, a little sweet pea. All right. Just uh, friends. Just That's friends. That's my prediction. Just, just friends. friends. He's going to be in the friend zone in no time. Oh, poor, poor, poor birdie. All right, folks, I want to thank you so much for joining us this week on the Nick After Show. We're going to be back next week with an all-new episode, talking about episode six. Marissa Serafini, where can people find you? Everyone can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at TV. Okay, and uh, Oriana? On Twitter, at Miss Oriana Leo. And if you would, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash The Oriana Leo. I'm going to have a new uh, season of Running Errands in Hollywood upcoming. Wonderful. All right, folks, you can find me on Twitter, at Matt Lieberman. That's M-A-T-T-L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. You can also find all my videos for SourceFed and SourceFed Nerd on YouTube. And you can find me here on uh, Doctor Who, Ray Donovan, The Strain, Under the Dome, Sons of Anarchy, and a whole bunch of other great I'm stuff. Overachiever. Nope, never. <laughs> never an overachiever. Thank you all so much. See you next week. Week. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, Buzz you later. later.
The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.